You're listening to an Al Mahdi Institute podcast. Thank you for listening. Allah min ash-shaytan ar-rajim. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin. Wa salatu wa salamu ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ahli baytihi at-tayyibin at-tahirin. For those of us who were here present last year in September, we had a similar short uh, four or five week course on the um, looking at Surat Al-Waqi'ah for those who, and so this, for those of us who were there for that, <coughs> and remember that far back, for them to know that this uh, course will be in kind of the same uh, format and f- coming from the same angles that, um, and the same methodology of analysis that that one was looking at. Um, <coughs> also, some people um, expressed their uh, eagerness to finish and disappointment in not finishing Surat Al-Waqi'ah that we missed, well we didn't finish it off last time, but the brainchild of this these series of Tafasir was always that it would give an insight into those parts of the Quran and then it would be for those who want to research further to go on by themselves and similarly in this case Surat Al-Qiyamah I'm quite sure that in this uh, four odd weeks we will not finish maybe probably not even half of it but it's then is it there to give an insight into what's going on in Surah Qiyamah and then uh, for those of who want to take it up thereafter will do so. So, Surah Qiyamah, to get on with it. Al-Qiyamah, the word itself, which this uh, surah is named, Al-Qiyamah, <coughs> a bit of um, information which will be most relevant to those who studied some basic Arabic at least, that we know the, <coughs> and they will know that the root of uh, Qiyamah is coming from Qaf, Waw, and Meem. Within that, <coughs> it is a masdar or a verbal noun of Qaf, Waw, and Meem root. However, this one of the many verbal nouns, or one of the numerous verbal nouns. We will know also, or those who have studied Arabic will know, that despite a verb having a particular meaning, the different connotations in which that verb is used occupies different verbal nouns. So, for example, Qiyam is also a verbal noun of the same root, but Qiyam just means to stand up. Qiwam is also a verbal noun from the same root, but all of these verbal nouns <coughs> have particular meanings and connotations. So, Qiyam on the pattern of Fi'al, if we know talking about patterns as we do in Arabic, <coughs> which also will... Uh, thank you so much. <coughs> which also will be uh, in correlation with verbal nouns such as qira'a and kitaba. So qiyamah is on that same pattern. Qiyamah has a very particular meaning. It doesn't mean to stand, as we know the, we would use that qaf, waw, and mean root to mean. <coughs> so the different verbal nouns have different connotations. Qiyamah means to not stand, but to raise up again. Or it could even mean upheaval or complete Raising something in terms of complete chaos. Upraising or bringing something back to life. If that was a meaning, if that's the meaning of Qiyamah, means raising something back to life, then what would Eid al-Qiyamah mean? Eid is a festival. We think Qiyamah, something horror comes to our mind. And we have Eid of Qiyamah. Well, we have Eid al-Qiyamah. We have in Arabic, we have Eid al-Qiyamah. It is the festival of resurrection. The Christian Arabs would call it Eid al-Qiyamah. Well, they also call it Eid al-Fas, but that's also another word for it. Eid al-Qiyamah means Easter time as the resurrection of 
Christ. So Qiyamah has this meaning in Arabic of raising up again, or bringing even back to life. About the, this is introducing the surah still, about the surah Qiyamah itself. It is a Makki surah, uh, and therefore it is revealed pre-migration. For those who have also done some studies in Quran, we know there are different ways of categorizing which surah or which ayah even is Makki and which one is Madani. Of course, we have one way of categorizing is where they were revealed. But the most popular way of categorizing Makki and Madani surah is not where it was revealed actually. It is the time period in which it was revealed. Was it revealed pre-Hijrah or was it revealed post-Hijrah? If it's revealed pre-Hijrah, we would call it Surah Makkiyah. If it's revealed post-Hijrah, we would call it Surah Madaniyah, even if the most of it came in Mecca. For example, when the Prophet came back to Mecca, after Fath Mecca, after the conquest of Mecca, if most of the Surah was revealed there, we would still call it Madani. Why? Because it was revealed post-Hijrah. So it's about the Seerah of the Prophet, if we divide it into two parts, post uh, pre-Hijrah and post-Hijrah, anything revealed before that would be Makki, and even if it was revealed, for example, neither in Mecca nor in Medina, it would be according to the time era in which it was revealed. Why is it categorized in this way? Why not categorize it in terms of geography, where it was revealed? It is useful, or those who have um, categorized it in this way find it useful, because the Makki and Madani revelations are characterized in certain ways. The Makki chapters would deal with certain themes that the Madani chapters would not uh, be speaking about. The Madani chapters would speak about law and complex philosophy maybe, and about civil matters, and whereas the Makki pre-Hijra chapters would not deal with these things. You're talking about there's no state that the Prophet has established in order to administer that state, to administer law. And so a lot of the early chapters in the Quran that we have in, our, in this Mus'haf that we would have early from Baqarah and Ali Imran and Nisa and, and all of these ones, they would be Madani. They would be, have been revealed afterwards when the Prophet had already a state and he was making law and these laws about how to treat women and how to do this and, and how to do that. They would be all Madani. Whilst the later ones uh, Makki uh, revelations and Makki revelations are characterized in this. As we said with Surah Waqi'ah, which we spoke about last year, was also a Makki surah. It has verses which are short, sharp. It's not about, oh, you who believe when you want to do a contract with other people. No, 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 not these things. You're talking to people who are disbelieving, uh, you know, predominantly. The prevalent people there are idolaters who are rejecting the Prophet's message. So to grab their attention, you have, as we said last year, like that. Like that. Not these long ayat about laws and not these things. So similarly here, we find the same thing as we will see soon. In Surah Qiyamah, is also characterized by the same way. And what does it deal with? Simple, basic, not about these big philosophies or not about law. Very simple things that when you're introducing the religion to someone, that's it. These kind of the Makki revelations are characterized by these things. In terms of Al-Qiyamah, Surah Al-Qiyamah, it is the 75th chapter in this Quran, which is the Quran that we have. That doesn't mean, as we just mentioned, that it was the 75th chapter to be revealed. No. It was one of the early chapters to be revealed. It was Makki. The later chapters, Al-Imran, Al-Baqarah, Al-Nisa, certainly, were all revealed later, of, even though they appear in this Qur'an 
in second, third, fourth, etc. What about its chronology in terms of when it was revealed? So it's 75th in this way. We don't really know, to be very frank. So we had a better idea, and so we gave some more details about that. When was this revealed? In Makkah, we know that. We don't know exactly when. But the context of the surah tells us that it is a public message. And it is dealing with the issue of Al-Qiyamah, telling people who don't believe in the afterlife or in Yawm Al-Qiyamah that it is true and we'll go into what the surah is saying. But the fact that it is a public message saying, no, uh, Yawm Al-Qiyamah is going to happen, etc., means it is after the first three years of the Prophet, Prophet since the Prophet's Bi'atha. Because the first three years, it was really a private message. Concentrating on his family and very near ones. After those first three years, it became public. And this is a very public chapter in its address. So we can see it came after the first three years, when the propagation became a public one. What about how this chapter, Surah Al-Qiyamah, is talked about or spoken about in the narrations? Now, again, we mentioned, and mentioned this again, and we mentioned also this last year when we spoke about Surah Al-Waqi'ah. When we talk about ahadith, about the, about the merits of the recitation of certain chapters of the Qur'an, Ayat Al-Kursi, Surah Yasin, Surah Al-Waqi'ah. Surah Al-Waqi'ah, as we mentioned, there's quite a few narrations about it in terms of the merits of re reciting it. You get this, you get barakah, you get the rizq, you get all of these things. These are ahadith. The historians would treat them with a bit of skepticism. Why? Because we know in history that after the passing of the Holy Prophet people started concentrating more on what the Prophet said. They started concentrating on these things and there was a distancing away from the Qur'an. And in order to grab people back towards the Qur'an, there were many people who were uh, fabricating a hadith, saying, well, I heard the Prophet say, if you recite Surah Yasin, you get this and this and this. If you recite Surah Waqa'ah, you get such and such and such. If you recite the Mu'abatain, you get this and this and this. So they started making a hadith to try and pull people back towards the Qur'an. And when they were challenged, of course, there were debates going on at this time, when the people were challenged, saying, well, the Prophet says, that many people will lie about what I have said, and he curses these people. Uh, what did he say? The Prophet would, would have said. So these, these people say, well, we are not lying ala rasul. We are lying lir rasul, in favor of the Prophet, so that people will be drawn to the Qur'an. So what we are doing is not blameworthy. In any case, so these kind of ahadiths, uh, often they are taken with a pinch of salt, especially the ahadiths, which are attributed to the Prophet himself, because this was the time where these ahadith, there was kind of a, a move towards fabricating these ahadith about the Qur'an. So if you hear ahadith maybe from Imam al-Sadiq Imam al-Kadhim, Imam al-Askari then maybe they, you know, there's some uh, more credibility to it, but if you hear a hadith saying, سَمِعْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ then that places a bit more doubt on it, because this was the time where people were fabricating about the Prophet, that he said such and such and such about the Qur'an and its recitation. In any case, what we have about uh, in the ahadith about Surah Al-Waqi'ah and its recitation, we, in Surah Al-Waqi'ah we spoke about it last time. We said, I don't know, I can't remember now, but there were ahadith about rizq and ahadith about uh, prosperity and this and that. Well, the ahadith we have about Surah Al-Qiyamah speak about 
the merits of reciting it, that it would ease uh, the resurrection for a person and ease the passage or, and the journey of a person on the Day of Judgment itself. And indeed, Surah Al-Qiyam is about the afterlife and the Day of Judgment anyway. So that's quite relevant. I want to look at a couple of the ahadith uh, now. So, as it appears in narrations, first from Imam Sadiq alayhi salam, and Abi Basir, and Abi Abdullah alayhi salam, what does he say? Man admana qira'ata la uqsimu. So, not whoever recites, not man, man qara'a. No. Man admana qira'ata la uqsimu means admana yudminu to devote oneself. Or to do it, maybe it means, in terms of the, the language, could mean to do it regularly or very frequently. So not just qira'ah, but to devote oneself to that qira'ah, or to, yeah, completely devote oneself. Admana would have that meaning. Man admana qira'ata la uqsimu. Now that's la uqsimu. We know the, the surah itself begins with these words, and so this is a reference to Surah Al-Qiyamah. Not only that, وَكَانَ يَعْمَلُ biha And also acts according to it. بَعَثَهُ اللَّهُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ مَعْهُ فِي قَبْرِهِ Allah would raise that surah itself, that chapter, with him in his grave. فِي أَحْسَنِ سُورَةٍ تَبْشِرُ وَتَضْحَكْ فِي وَجْهِهِ حَتَّى يَجُوزِ الصِّرَاطِ وَالْمِيزَانِ And English is there. So, <coughs> he would raise, Allah would raise that chapter in the best of ways, that surah in the Qur'an in the best of ways, in the best form, smiling and laughing with him, meaning giving pleasure and happiness to the person who was not reciting it but admana uh, if you like reciting it often or devoting oneself to it and would give a person uh, happiness until they pass the, the sirat on the yawm al-qiyamah and the accountability al-mizan is the scales of accounting and from the holy prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam وَمَنْ قَرَأَ سُورَةَ الْقِيَامَةِ whoever recites this surah شَهِدْتُ أَنَا وَجِبْرَائِيلَ لَهُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ Both I and the Archangel Gabriel would testify, if you like, for him. What? أَنَّهُ كَانَ مُؤْمِنًا بِيَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ That indeed this person used to believe in يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ And keeping in mind, because the belief in يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ is central more central than belief in imama, more central than believing in, in the nubu'ah of the Prophet. The most, if you like, in terms of priority, if you were to put down the tenets, not of, of Islam, but of humanity, moreover, then in first would come the belief in God, and then the belief in Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And then, for Muslims, the prophethood. And then, for particular Muslims, imama of this and that. But first of all, belief in God and then the Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Do we not have in the Qur'an, Surah Baqarah, Allah is promising salvation to those who believe, الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَالنَّصَارَى وَالْمَانُوا Categories, what? مَنْ آمَنَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ These two things, not the Prophet, not the Imams, not this, no. بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ Of course, وَالْعَمِلَ صَالِحًا And they will... So, this is a central belief and a very core belief after the belief in Allah Himself. أَنَّهُ كَانَ مُؤْمِنًا بِيَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ And he will come وَجَاءَ وَوَجْهُهُ مُصْفِرٌ عَلَى وُجُوهِ الْخَلَائِقِ يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ And his face, he will come with his face illuminating the faces of the other creatures or the other creation, if you like, on the Day of Judgment. So again, the 
a hadith about Sutul Qiyamah and its recitation are in the same vein about salvation, success, being saved, ease of passage in the afterlife rather than other, other surah or other chapters in the Quran speaking maybe about a person will get rizq if they recite such a chapter a person might get married easily if they recite such a chapter we have those also a hadith about that a person might have children if they recite such and such chapter so unlike all of those this is dealing with yawm al-qiyamah or these hadith about it are dealing with the afterlife the themes covered in this chapter <coughs> of Surah al-qiyamah of course his name is Surah al-qiyamah so if it's concerning the day of resurrection, that wouldn't be a surprise to anyone. It contains 40 verses. We can maybe categorize these verses down into, if you like, paragraphs or certain themes which are covered in this surah. So, firstly, it starts by talking a few verses about the changes, cosmological changes on Yawm Al-Qiyam, on the day of... Sorry. That's Day of Resurrection, by the way, if you didn't get that. That's on the Day of Resurrection. Remember, and this is, so this is talking about them. Remember, we had the same kind of thing in Surah Al-Waqa'ah, did we not? Then what will happen? The mountains will crumble, and the seas will do this, and the earth will do this, and the sun will... So all of these, we have them in various chapters of the Qur'an. Also, this chapter is talking about those changes at the time of Yawm Al-Qiyam, the Day of Resurrection. Then it goes on to speaking about the state or the condition of the people who do good and evil or the good and evil people uh, after judgment. So Yawm Al-Qiyamah, depends how you want to speak about Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Yawm Al-Qiyamah, that time of being resurrected and accounting and, and that. Okay, so then once we're in Jannah and other people are in Jahannam, then okay, that's Yawm Al-Qiyamah is over, right? So that part of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. So how they are after Yawm Al-Qiyamah, the eventual end, the surah talks a bit about that also. It will speak thereafter about the stage of death and then some hints about the purpose of life itself. We will we kind of speak about that a bit earlier on as well, but mainly we can divide it into these themes. Now you will see there's a gap here on purpose because this surah speaks about this theme and then these three themes, but there's something in the middle here which is seems out of character for the surah. It's like someone saying, red, green, yellow, blue, kangaroo, purple. This seems, where does that come from? We're talking about colors here. So there's a theme here, but suddenly, in the middle of it, it starts talking about the Quranic revelation, and a bit, just one or two verses about that, which seems a bit out of the normal theme or the flow of the uh, chapter itself, which is about all about the Day of Judgment. And we'll come on to these, inshallah, if we have time in the four weeks. So, let's get on with the chapter. So we've introduced the chapter, hopefully. We know what the chapter is about. Let's get into what the chapter says. Right, the chapter begins, as we know, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, and then, لا أقسم بيوم القيامة It begins by swearing an oath. Kind of. Because the oath part is here, starting from uqsimu, the green part only. I hope you can see the, the color difference. I'm colorblind anyway, so it doesn't make a difference to me. But that is the oath part. Yeah? But what's this la? That doesn't make Uqsimu means I swear biyawm al-qiyamah by the. What's that la doing there? Actually, 
Okay, again, you can see the, the verse is that mucky kind of flavor of verse, yes? La uqsimu biyawm Short verse, not long, not detailed, but hang on, if you hear it, someone say, someone just entering a, uh, a group and say, I swear by the day of judgment, what's he talking about? This is the kind of uh, characteristic or flavor of the Makki uh, verses were like this. So, why is this La doing here then? That La at the beginning, this one which is circled now, is disjointed from the rest of the verse. Uqsinu biyawmil qiyamah means I swear by the day of resurrection. But that La being disjointed from the rest, it means no. What does it mean no? It shows, or the Mufassirin are saying this way, it shows that there was a discussion about Yom Al-Qiyamah going on, or about the afterlife. Some people say, there's no afterlife. When you're dead, you're dead, that's it, you're finished. Some people saying maybe, I don't know, we'll be raised back, we'll be raised back as animals, or reincarnated in some way. Other people saying, with all these different theories, and the Prophet is entering this discussion, saying, Hang on, hang on. So someone is saying, no, I think Mufid says this. I think the things that I say, I come say, no. That's how the Prophet is coming in. So the, all of this is, it's a negation of everything you thought or everything you're discussing. No. La. No. So stop. All the, everything you say is false. You don't know what you're talking about. And then after that la, the oath comes in that I swear by the day of Qiyamah. And then the second verse. By the way, before we go into this one, there is some discussion among the the uh, Mufassirun that is it the Prophet saying? So the Prophet was told to say, "Go within the crowd and say La Oqasimu." That would mean the Prophet himself is swearing the oath. The Prophet is being told to go in the middle and and say La to everything you're saying. I swear by the day of resurrection. Or is it Allah who is saying no to everything you say, but Allah swears by? Does the Mufassirun go to this? Uh, the predominant understanding is this latter one. That it is not the Prophet who is being told to come and say, to enter this discussion and say, La. No, it's Allah Himself. Because we know the Prophet, when he is told to say something, the Quran often speaks about this way. Yes, Alunakan, or they ask you about such and such a thing. Qul. قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٍ Oh, قُلْ such and such قُلْ يَا مُحَمَّدٍ such and such This one doesn't say that. This one is as if it's Allah saying Himself. Then the second verse says, وَلَا Again, the la is still there. So, no to everything you've been thinking, everything you've been discussing, all the theories you had. No, 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 stop. La! أُقْسِمُ بِيَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ And then again, whatever you're discussing about the soul and... La, but this is very, and we're going to have a discussion here about this. Uqsimu bin nafsillawama. I swear, also Allah is saying another oath by a nafs, the soul which is lawama. What and why? What is this talking about? And why is it placed here? Nafsillawama. Right. This is so. I swear by this is the B by and then Al-Nafsullah. What is Al-Nafsullahama? Now the word Al-Lawama uh, again we know it is feminine, so we're taking out the word this position of Al-Lawama again grammatically is sifa, is a sifa for this mausuf which is an nafs. 
The word nafs itself is feminine, although it doesn't have any tamar, so nothing to show it's feminine. Words, nafs, khamr, nar, ard, harb, all of these words are feminine in Arabic, although they have no sign, obvious sign to say they are feminine. And nafs is feminine. So if we take the ta away from the sifa at the end, we end up with this, and the al obviously, which is a definite article, we end up with this word lawam. Lawam. Describing this nafs as lawam. This lawam, you will know, is on the pattern of fa'al. The fa'al pattern, now year ones and year twos and beyond will know this hopefully already, is on ismul mubalagha pattern or sigratul mubalagha. It means an exaggerated way of describing something. How so? Where do we have this? Fa'al pattern, which now on that pattern we have lawam. And what does that signify? So, we have, for example, ghafir. And I'm given this example in, in the classes already. So also, in addition to giving a flavor to people to try and incite them into getting into the Quran, it's also an advert to try and come and study Arabic here. Otherwise, you'll be very aware of these things already. So, ghafir. We know Allah's name. Allah is ghafir. He's the forgiver, the one who does maghfirah. But if we were to say on the fa'al pattern, if we say ghafar, oh, that's something different. Ghafir is someone who forgives. But ghafar is someone who forgives, like forgives everything or forgives all the time. He's always, always intensely forgiving. Ta'ib. If we want to also look at, since lawam is also like we had like qiyama itself, Lawam, the word is on a pattern which, again, we mentioned it earlier on, ajwaf or a hollow root, meaning the, the wow is in the middle, a weak letter is in the middle. So if we also look at something which is on a weak root, ta'ib, the one who does tawbah, is someone who repents or turns repentantly. Allah is ta'ib, not that he repents, but Allah turns to us so that we seek repentance. But if we speak about Allah as not one who turns to the repentant one, we are the repentant ones, but not that Allah turns to us, but Allah is tawab as he speaks about himself in the Quran. Again, on the same pattern of fa'al, on the tawab pattern, means he's always, always, always ready to forgive all the time. So like ghafir was forgiven, but ghafar was someone who forgives everything all the time, even the big sins and the small sins. Ta'ib, someone who, yeah, turns to the one who is repentant, but Tawab, as Allah speaks about himself in the Quran, who Tawab rahim who Tawab, he's always just waiting, ready to turn to the repentant one. In a similar um, pattern, we have La'im, like Ta'ib, La'im is the one who blames, who accuses. Why did you do this? Oh, you're so bad for doing such That's la'im. But lawam is constantly telling me, like nagging me. What the hell do you think you're doing? All the time you're doing it. Always nagging. Oh, lawam is like this. So, Allah is saying, I swear. No, I swear. By that soul, this which is constantly nagging inside. What do you think you are? What have you done? What are you doing? This soul... Now, is this a separate soul? We'll speak about that in a, in a moment as well. Just now, actually. This soul, the lawama soul, the nafs, are we saying 
this is a certain soul, and we have another soul inside, and we have another kind of soul inside. No, 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 no. We have only one soul. But this soul, as the mystics would say, undergoes a journey. For example, a student is a student. Student is student. Because this is a nursery student, and then he developed a bit, he grew up, he became a primary school student. And then he developed upon his educational journey a bit more, he became a secondary, a high school student. And then he developed himself a bit more, he became, I don't know, A-levels, or then he went to undergrad, he became a university student. Then he got his degree, he became a post with the same person. He's just going through an evolution, a journey. So that's the same way. Now, these mystics speak about seven, well, they speak about hundreds actually, Seven milestones, if you like. We say GCSE was a milestone, A level is a milestone, I don't know, BA or whatever is a milestone, MA is a, Seven milestones. And within these milestones, the mystics speak about a journey. So many mystics, Sayyid Bahl al speaks about it, Haid uh, al Amuli speaks about it. Here in this particular book uh, of Manazil Sairin, Khaj Abdullah al Ansari speaks about it, who is not actually from a Shi'i background, anyways. But all of these mystics speak about it this journeying of the soul. And they speak about these milestones along that journey, lawam, this state of being lawam, a nafs al-lawam is one milestone on that journey. And this they have derived by reflecting upon certain verses of the Qur'an. So we look at some of them, some of these milestones. And lawam is one of those milestones in that journey. So this is the seven milestones that they, and of course, as I say, between them, there are many stages, maybe hundreds of stages between each one and the next one. And al Amara, you can see again on the same pattern of Fa'ala, like Lawama, the same pattern. Amara, we know Amara means to command, to prompt someone to do something. Amara is that soul which is constantly urging or prompting someone in a certain way. And well, we're speaking about an nafs al-ammara, in brackets, we mean, by that we mean ammara bisu. Why do I put that? It means urging or prompting one towards doing evil things. I put that in brackets because that's not necessarily true. An nafs al-ammara is ammara within a context, and we'll speak about that also. And it's a very useful nafs, actually, a very useful stage, which Allah has put in us. In any way, nafs al-lawama, the next one, al-nafs al-mulhama, النفس المطمئنة، النفس الراضية، النفس المرضية، النفس الكاملة is the final stage on that journey. As for النفس الأمارة, again we say these mystics have taken these stages of development of the soul from the Quran and the Hadith. But speaking about them from the Quran, speaking about النفس الأمارة first of all, we know it is in the Quran with Yusuf, in as he himself says, إن النفس الأمارة بالسوء this is where Nafsul Ammara is spoken about in Surah Yusuf, verse 53, where Nabi Yusuf salam says, Indeed the soul definitely prompts bisu to evil, illa ma rahima rabbi, except that which Allah has mercy over, and the end of the verse. But this soul prompts towards evil. Yeah, well, this is within a context. That's why I put it in brackets. It doesn't prompt towards evil. Because this nafs al-ammara is part of man's nature. It doesn't prompt towards evil. It just prompts towards what it wants. That's it. Actually, this is the basic self which we are born with. It doesn't care 
if what is prompting itself towards is evil or is good. It doesn't care. It's not like it's going towards evil. No. It's just going towards what it wants. Whether that thing is halal, it wants it. If it's haram, it wants it. No regard for halal or haram. It wants what it wants. That's the animalistic self. In fact, this stage of the soul is... uh, this stage of the soul is what we are, the undeveloped or uncultured soul, is what we are all born with. When you speak about, to a baby about morality and you have to obey Allah, and a baby is not going to understand this, a six-month-old baby walking around, or walking, crawling around, doesn't understand this thing. It's pure, nafsul ammara, not misu, not evil. It's just the baby is prompted. What does the baby want? The baby wants to eat. What other concern does the baby have? Nothing. Eat and comfort. That's it. Now, when the soul becomes cultured, we know, no, 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 I can't just eat whatever I want. Not, not everything belongs to me. Some things are bad for my health. Now, this is when I am starting to understand these things. When a human being is born, nothing, just animal instinct. Whenever you see a baby crawling around, six months old, let's say, and it sees a wooden object this big, why do our parents always say, oh, keep these little bits and things away from where the baby is crawling around? Why? We're going to pick this thing up and put it where? In his mouth. Because this is al-ammara. Why? Because the baby's only concern is eating. That's it. When we are born now, if we don't develop from now, my, all my concern is now eating, drinking, this desire, that desire, all my status, my ego, everything which helps me, because the, the baby, by its instinct, knows that to survive, I have to eat. Now, I've become bigger. I'm no longer a baby, but I'm still a baby spiritually, because I know I need to survive. I don't just need to eat. I need money. I need power. I need status. I need house. I need spouse. I need prestige. I need this. And so, if I'm acting all my life, I'm praying. I pray my salat. Why? So, people so see me and see, oh, Sheikh is praying, Sheikh. This is Nafsul Ammara. The baby was just putting things in its mouth to survive. I am praying my salat just to survive because my, my position should be high. This is nafs al-ammara. So when I do it this way, that's when nafs al-ammara becomes al-ammara bisu, prompting me towards doing evil. But otherwise when the baby is acting that way, that's nafs al-ammara, not bisu, just to survive. And that's why on that note, the Prophet's hadith, for example, speaking about this nafs, says... Uh, your worst enemy or your staunchest enemy is what? That soul, that nafs which is within you, well, between your two sides. Of course, he's re- that's in reference to a nafs al-ammara That nafs which, regardless of whether the thing is halal for me to look at or haram for me to look at, I want it, so I look at it. I want, I want, I want, I need. This is nafs al-ammara. It's not evil for the development of a child, but it becomes evil once I start understanding. And the next stage thereafter is a nafs al-lawama, which is speaking about here. Also in the Quran, where, well, we just discussed the verse now, la uqsimu bin nafs al-lawama. It blames for sin. So once this is a step up, now I've progressed from being that stupid animalistic self, just wanting, 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 I need to survive. I'm looking beyond this now. Hang on. I've just been eating and drinking and looking at this and hearing this and acting in this way. Then this voice, the one who is a bit more cultured spiritually, the voice inside, hang on, Muhammad, what do you think you're doing? You're an idiot. Is this all you care about? What, do you th- what are you doing? This? What? 
This is a nafs al-lawama. When this voice becomes constantly nagging at me, what have you done? Why are you doing this? You committed this sin. Didn't you see it was a sin? This is al-lawama. Now, obviously, when the baby is putting everything in its mouth, it doesn't have a nafs al-lawama to say, what are you doing? This is bad for you. This wood, it's not food. No. But once a, be- a person becomes more understanding, what is Allah about? What is my life supposed to be about? This voice begins to speak to it. And it regrets. Muhammad, you committed this, you prayed, just because people would see you. That's why you prayed. What did you think you were doing? What kind of salat was this anyway? This is a lawama speaking to me now. Because you did this, you were close to Allah. Now you distance yourself from Allah because you worshipped someone else who was standing behind you in prayer. You're worshipping that person. You, this is regret of a lawama. And again, being eating this and eating that. Remember about nafs al-ammara, it doesn't always just go, I said, it doesn't always just prompt towards evil or prompt towards good. It just prompts towards what it wants to survive. We've been fasting the whole day. Certain, or iftar time is maybe, what, I don't know, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock. Come 5 o'clock, nafs al-ammara. Oh, if I had some water now, I could just, oh, or Coca-Cola, I could just do. This is nafs al-ammara. Not be, now it's evil for me, subjectively, because I'm fasting. If I wasn't fasting, it's halal for me to drink. It's amara to take me to what I, to what I want. It's just going after what it wants. Oh, fish fingers and chips right now. I could Okay, fine. If that time comes, and I eat fish fingers and chips and kebab and biryani and, and now I'm full. Now is my nafs al-ammara going to say, eat a bit more? No, because it's uncomfortable for me now. So and now I know it's unhealthy, it doesn't even feel nice right now to eat. You bring me a, a full dish of big, the most delicious kebab, I don't want it. I don't desire it. Nafs al-ammara is just going to prompt me to that which it wants. Not evil or good, it doesn't have anything to do with that. But now, once I feel myself because of al-ammara, oh, you have to eat, you have to drink this whole thing, you have to do this, and now I'm full, and now I can't pray properly, now I can't even think properly, al-lawama said, what you silly person, what have you done? This is what your fast was about? Your whole fast you ate, this is lawama now, pushing me, this, this is not what you should have done. Now you've distanced yourself from Allah despite the fast because of this silly attitude that you had. And then a person, once they start listening to that voice, yeah, it's true, I have been silly. All this life I wasted it. Well, what have I been doing all this time? Like Imam Ali al-Islam says, nasun niyamun. Yes, man is asleep, he's foolish, doesn't know what he's doing. Once he dies, he wakes up, oh, this is what I was supposed to have done. Then he wakes up. If I listen to that voice inside, which is always blaming me, and saying, what are you doing? This, you distance yourself from Allah. Then, that voice, which now, okay, yes, you're right. I want to go back to Allah. I don't want to act in this way. This nafs becomes mulhama, mulhama. I'm not going to put any of my first year Arabic guys on the spot now, but mulham, mulham is on that pattern of muf'al, passive participle of the fourth form, yes, af'ala yuf'ilu muf'il muf'al, alhama yulhimu, means to inspire. Mulham is the inspired soul, or the inspired self. Now that it starts listening to its lawama, starts listening to that voice within it, it's progressed now. Yeah, now God starts to inspire. You want to get back to me? Allah says, now let me inspire you. Yes? And Allah, of course, speaks about this nafs, or this stage. It's on a separate nafs from Amara and Lawama. It's on a separate nafs. It's the same nafs, which has gone through a journey now and become, by the way, also, 
the mystics would also say that when the nafs goes to this state, for example, it's now a nafs al-mulhama. That means its predominant stage is al-mulhama. Does that mean it never gets tempted by al-amara? It doesn't have amara inclinations? No. It would still have, otherwise a person would be ma'asun now. No. It would still, nafs would still prompt it to go, but by and large it would be at the stage now of mulhama. Sorry. That's inspiration, by the way, coming from God. So, Allah says in Surah Shams, وَنَفْسٍ وَمَا سَوَّاهَا And I swear by, and by the soul, and what has fashioned it, فَأَلْهَمَهَا Yes, He inspired it. He done ilham to it. Now that nafs has become mulham. Speaking about the nafs now at this stage, Allah inspired it to what? Fujuraha wa taqwaha, knowing what is right, what is wrong. Yes, eating this all, whatever, and looking at this, it's not good. Now be inspired to get back to Allah, knowing what is right, what is wrong. So mulhama is spoken this way. So mulhama now, this stage is closer to Allah, of course. Oh, oh Allah is not far from us. Anyways, just, you can say less barriers, less spiritual barriers between us and Allah. Then this carnal self, which was al uh, amara, and then it has moved on also. That doesn't mean it doesn't get. Uh, voices from Allah, saying, what have you done? You shouldn't have done it. still gets those. But predominantly, that nafs is being inspired by Allah now, which is why they call it the, the state or the stage of spiritual excitement. Now this person, see, ah, you will see those kind of people who are now more engrossed in Salatul Layl. In fact, they enjoy Salatul Layl now. In fact, they enjoy speaking to Allah in supplications now, because now this is the getting something from that now. That soul is now pretty... You won't find that person sinning this way and that way. By the way, everyone like me who recites Dua Kumail and Dua this now, that doesn't mean we're at Mulhama, we're at Ammara. We are still doing it because people are watching me. And my state is... This is still Ammara. You cannot tell from a person outside this is this person is uh, at Ammara or Mulhama or Lawama. No. This is something within us, yes? So now when that person begins to feel that close... that sweetness of worship. You will see this person worshipping when they can, not when they have to, because they're inspired now. They want to take that journey. And of course, we know that famous verse speaking about the next three stages. Al-Nasr al-Mutma'inna, which is it's in green there, in that verse, in Surah Al-Fajr. Ya ayatu al-Nafsu al-Mutma'inna. This next three stages, okay, mutma'inna, we know is, means tranquil. Now that soul, having been inspired by God and moving close to Allah, is now in a good state. He knows that by the remembrance of Allah, what calamities before it, what challenges, it is in an easy state. That is a tranquil self. Has confidence in God's will and is at peace. I mean, it doesn't mean uh, now that soul is far from Al-Ammara. Now it's not affected by these. Shaitan really has to work hard now on this soul to try and pull it back down because being more and more distant from this. But having said that, remember the, the higher they climb, the harder it, it would fall. If it falls, then it would fall really hard. So, this tranquil self, this verse suggests from Surah Al-Fajr that Al-Mutma'inna is a different stage, and that's why the mystics speak about it this way, from al-nafs al-radiyah and al-nafs al-mardiyah. Because the verse is speaking to the soul, which is at al-mutma'inna stage. It's saying, Ya ayyatuha al-nafs al-mutma'inna O tranquil soul, irji'i ila rabbik, come back to your Lord, but don't come mutma'inna. 
You should come this way. The exegetes would say that Ar-Radiya is a stage higher than Mutma'inna. No, don't come back to Ar-Radiya. Come back Mardiya. And we will see what they mean just now. Again, uh, going green. The next part is green now. Come back to your Lord Radiya. Please. First you are you had peace with Allah. But being pleased with Allah is something else. I can be, or I'm, I'm satisfied with what Allah has given me and the challenges He plays. I'm satisfied. I don't complain to Allah. I don't complain to other people, definitely. But I'm happy. No. But being happy with what Allah has decreed is something else. And then beyond that, so this is what when a person is happy or the soul is now at the stage it's happy. Being maradiya is now when Allah is happy with it. Not only I am now happy with what Allah has decreed, but Allah is now happy. It is al-nafs al-maradiya. And that soul, the mystics would say, those who have gone through such a journey, or imagine they have gone through such a journey, that soul would now be working for Allah in a way you will not see. Because it's an ordinary person. He, he's a greengrocer, or he's a carpenter, or he's a, he's a sheikh maybe, or he's someone else. You, know. you don't see them working for God. But behind the scenes, they are doing only between them and Allah. And Nafs al-Kamila would be the perfect or the complete self. That's the, the, the ultimate milestone. Right, in any case. And Nafs al-Lawama. I am going to stop soon because I give some time for some comments to come through before our hour finishes. But speaking about this Lawama still, this is the question. This self-reproaching stage of the nafs or characteristic of the nafs so all this journey that the nafs had gone through all of these seven it was not uh, it was that that soul at that stage emits or shows those characteristics that doesn't mean it doesn't have the other characteristics so a lawama will still have a lamara parts to it but predominantly shows those characteristics now this characteristic of the nafs that it is self-reproaching why is it mentioned here? We are speaking about Surah Al-Qiyamah. And Allah has said, La, stop with everything you are talking about. Uqsimu biyawm al-Qiyamah. So how is this characteristic of the soul, of an-nafs al-lawama, how and why is it relevant here, and why speaking about when we are talking about actually yawm al-Qiyamah, resurrection and that theological thing. This, remember Muslims don't have nafs al-lawama. Non-Muslims don't have nafs al-lawama or this characteristic of things saying, hang on, what you're doing is wrong. This, every nafs has this characteristic. Muslim, non-Muslim, idolater, Christian, Jew, atheist, everyone has this voice inside. Hang on, this is morally wrong. You shouldn't have done this. Why did you do this? Everyone has that voice inside. Now, this moral guilt within, for those who are saying there is no, which at that time, of course, they were saying that discussion was there, there is no there's no resurrection, we're going to die and we'll go in the grave and that's it. Or maybe we'll be resurrected as our children or as animals or as all these theories that were there. But there was no accountability. At that point Allah says, لا أقسم بيوم القيامة ولا أقسم بالنفس اللوامة I swear by the self-report, don't you have this voice inside you telling you this was right, this was wrong? The fact you have moral guilt inside is proof in itself that there will be judgment. If there's no judgment day, man, why do you think you have this voice inside you? Idolater? 
Muslim, Shia, Sunni, Christian, Jew, Buddhist. It, why do you think all of you have this little nagging voice inside telling you that this was wrong? You shouldn't have done this. Why did you do this? You know there's accountability. You cannot deny Yawm Al-Qiyamah because it's within you. In fact, you're doing your hisab constantly yourself. Can you not see this man? How? That when you're already counting yourself constantly, are you then saying, there won't be any Yawm Al-Qiyamah? How can you say that? You yourself are testimony to the fact that there is Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And this moral guilt, I think, we'll stop here and we'll speak about uh, this moral guilt that everyone has within us, this nafs al-lawama, inshallah, next week, Tuesday. Wa salatu ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. Support Al-Mahadi Institute. Visit almahadi.edu.